This Week in Startups, The Next Unicorns is brought to you by Embroker. The Embroker Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important lines of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Get an instant quote and $5,000 of AWS credit at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get 10% off by using offer code TWIST10. NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get NetSuite's free guide, 7 Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, when you go to netsuite.com slash twist. And LinkedIn. You need LinkedIn jobs to find the right people for your business. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash unicorn and get $50 off your first job post. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. We're on location at Standard Cognition's first prototype store with no checkout. It's self-checkout. You may have heard of this concept before. I'm here with the founder, Jordan Fisher, uh, and Standard Cognition's done pretty well. You guys just raised like $86 million or something at a half billion dollar valuation. No pressure. Um, yeah, no pressure. No, no pressure. No pressure. Yeah. Um, how did you come up with the idea uh, for Standard Cognition? What was the inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody hates lines. Yeah. Uh, and everyone hates self-checkout even more than that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a pretty easy concept. You could go back 50 years and say, what would you like to improve about your shopping experience? Well, I don't want to wait 10 minutes to get out of here. So I think the idea is pretty easy. It's just that now is kind of the zeitgeist, that the technology and you know, the state of machine learning is getting to a point where you can feasibly remove all of that you know, sweat. Like, let's just get out of the store. Let's, let's make this really seamless. And so how does it work exactly? I know you have to have an app. What do you do? You do well, you get the app and then you just show up at the store and you walk in and out with some shampoo? Yeah. I mean, the, the goal is really just to completely remove the notion of transacting from stores. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about what Uber and Lyft have brought to the world of, of taxiing, basically, is you just you don't think about transacting anymore. You pull out the app and you call the car, but then you're done. When you get to your destination, you just open the door and you leave. You don't even think that you're paying. But we want to bring that same experience to stores. You walk into a store, you grab what you want, you walk out, and that's it. You are transacting, but you're not thinking about it. It just happens automatically. So removing friction equals more joy for customers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got it. So assuming we walked in here and we had the app, would the app know we're in the location or do we have to check in explicitly? How does it work? Yeah. So right now you do need to check in. That's the okay. one the one piece of engagement we still need, but we're working on removing that as well yeah. too. I mean, you know my location, right? If I give you my location information, shouldn't you know I'm in this place? Why do I need to check in? Yeah. So we do know you're in the store, but there's a tricky problem. The check-in problem is what we call it actually, where if there's 20 people in the store, we know that all of 20 people are in this geo-gated location, okay. but we need to be able to associate your payment information with a particular person in our tracking system. Ah, and so we don't, we've walked in, but if three of us walked in, how do you know which person took the soap versus the drink versus exactly. the mug? Exactly. So we have a collection of cameras overhead. Our system's yeah. completely vision-based. It's all cameras. Got it. It's anonymously tracking all the shoppers in the store, Got but it. we don't do any facial recognition. So there's no way for us to be able to recognize you and say, hey, this is Joe Schmo. Uh, and that's intentional. We've designed the system with that, that privacy. Do people preserving. care about that? So some people care, some people don't care. But I don't care. Like if I walk into a store, I'm already like any bodega I would walk into in Brooklyn had closed circuit television. Yeah. Why do people care? So CCTV and a facial recognition system that we're going to deploy across the world are slightly, slightly different. And Got it depends it. on the geography in terms of the actual laws around this, mm. uh, as well as the culture around it. Ah, got so it. the U.S. is sort of somewhere in between the extremes. Europe is going to be on one further extreme of right. being much more privacy preserving. And then there's 
countries and jurisdictions that are further on the even other side of the extreme where you actually probably have to do facial recognition. <laughs> okay. So I come in, I check in that I'm in the store, you know, I'm in the store, but based on me hitting the check-in button, you know, the exact moment I'm in the store and ready to shop. Exactly. So then and we, do you know my location as well based on like the Wi-Fi signal? So the camera can pinpoint me in the store. So the cameras alone, no Wi-Fi actually are doing precise visual tracking down to the centimeter of wherever shopper is, huh. which is actually a pretty cool application on its own. Forget about checkout. Yeah. We know where every shopper is down to the centimeter throughout their entire shopping trip. Got it. Uh, so things that we want to roll out in the future would include in-store positioning. How do you know maps. if two people come in and they press the button? Let's say it's a big store and it's busy. Mm -hmm. Two people press the button at the same second or two seconds. Mm -hmm. How would it know who's who? So we do a visual sync on the phone. Ah. So what happens is two or three or four people are trying to check in. Each one of them get a distinct color. Ah. We display that on the screen. The cameras are watching. Got it. Camera says person seven's got a blue screen and my user check-in system says they sent blue to user seven or, or to Joe rather. Interesting. So now, now we can make that association. Got it. So you're even thinking now about scale mm -hmm. and this hitting some large level of scale, like giant supermarket type scale. Absolutely. But the goal long-term not even hopefully too long-term in the next year or two is to remove that piece of the friction as well. Cause there's a bunch of technologies we can use to prevent you from even needing to take your phone out of your pocket. So you really can just walk in and walk out. So we're here in the store and I'm looking up and this is about a, I would say 2000 square foot store. Yep. Typical okay. convenience size, convenience size. And I'm seeing about every two, about every 30 inches, I'd say every three feet, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a couple of cameras. A couple of cameras, like two or three of them. So the cameras seem to be spaced out, what, like in a grid of three by three feet? Mm -hmm. That's about right. So this store has 30 cameras in it, although okay. actually we're not currently running all 30 live. Uh, but typically a 2,000 square foot would need about 30 cameras. And these are really small cameras. What type of cameras are there? Are they just standard video cameras? Like yeah. security cameras? Uh, they're, these are machine vision cameras, but yeah, they're What's commodity. What's the difference between a machine vision camera and like my an drop IP. cam? Yeah. Uh, really, it's about tolerances. So because we're doing a lot of what's called multi-view geometry, where we're analyzing things from multiple perspectives and trying to triangulate and figure out what's happening in 3D, you really want to have some tight tolerances on the lenses and the cameras so that you can very precisely figure out where something is. Got it. Whereas with uh, you know, your, your off-the-shelf camera that's more consumer-oriented, this has a plastic lens. Ah, the precision and tolerance of that lens is not going to be the same as, as one of these lenses. And what are those costs? A thousand bucks each or something? No, a third of that probably. Oh, really? 300 bucks? Yeah. So you can outfit a store for $10,000 in cameras mm -hmm. and a couple of servers in the back. I'm assuming $10,000 in servers. So right now it's a little bit more. Got it. Um, probably a store like this would be closer to one to 200000 Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Of cameras and equipment. The, the cameras, again, are going to be the cheap part. Yeah. Uh, but we have a lot of compute. But what's great is we're riding the... You know, Moore's Law is dead for CPUs, but it's very much... For uh, GPUs. For GPUs and for TPUs and all Got of it. the custom ASICs for deep learning. Got we're it. on this super Moore's Law curve at the moment. So we're, we're not too worried about the cost of the, the compute because that'll come down drastically. So basically you take a bunch of gaming cards, a bunch of NVIDIA cards or something in the back, mm -hmm. and each card can run, what, two cameras, three cameras? Right now it's, we can do two cameras on a GPU. Got it. Uh, although we just blast it and throw a ton of... GPUs at this thing. Seems completely unnecessary and awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so you're down to a level of ridiculousness in terms of frame rate and understanding what's going on. Yes. I mean, the goal is throw everything we can at this. Let's get the system working. Let's get it accurate. And then we'll start scaling back the, the cost. Now, I noticed, let's take a look over here at the shelf. For those of you listening, we're just looking at what looks like an exact replica of a convenience store. And we've got Dove Deep Moisturizer and Suave for Men. 
which Master Nick loves to use. He loves that suave for men, body wash, <laughs> very refreshing. Um, but I notice immediately that everything is stacked perfectly on the shelf. Is that for aesthetics or necessity? That's just aesthetics. So just actually, aesthetics. Okay. So our, our system doesn't care at all. And what's, what's great is, and the whole point of this, this show store is this is just regular stuff. These are just regular steel gondolas. There's nothing special about them. You look like you use the cheapest, most commodity Absolutely. shelving. Because that's, that's where we're going to be deploying. Those to. are your customers. Yeah, just you're regular stores. You're not going to compete with the Amazon Go store. You're going to enable all stores to have this. So exactly. you're an operating system like Android. You're yes. not going to be the hard, you're not going to be the provider of the end user experience. You're going to enable the end user experience. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. And that's, that's really what the point of this store was, was let's, let's throw together a rough convenience store. Let's not do anything special. There's no custom units. There's no custom hardware. Uh, and then we'll install cameras overhead and make this work. So uh, I grabbed the swap for men for, for Nick and um, I'm holding it in my hand. The camera knows I took it off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Did you have to tell the camera and how much work is it to onboard each skew, each of these unique items, how do you do that? It's a lot of work. A lot of work. Absolutely, okay. yeah. I mean, it's not trivial. We need tens of millions of pictures of what this thing looks like in every possible configuration. That's, that's the, the uh, quantity that you need to be able to train wait, these. Wait, tens of millions? Tens of millions. It's, it's nuts. It's, it's a lot of how work. How do you take ten, tens of millions <laughs> of suave men pictures? Is it just that I hold it and we walk around with it and you take all those pictures and a human... So we have a whole, I mean, a lot of this gets into the super competitive advantage of how we do data creation. But yeah, we have a a massive laundry list of what we call data creation, which is how we we want to put each possible product in every possible configuration. Mm. Just that as a research project that we've been doing for years is figuring out what configurations this product should be in. Got it. Uh, But then we just have cameras that are collecting, streaming. We collect millions of these pictures. Yeah, I mean, if you just had... I don't know, what, a thousand people come in and out of the store and pretend they were buying each of the items and each person took mm-hmm. 10% of the items. You had 100 people do each item. That's enough training data? That's exactly the right idea. Yeah. And you can send that training data to two human beings in Africa or India or wherever, Manila, mm-hmm. and people get paid a dollar an hour, which is probably triple what they would get in any other job. And they can just sit there, highlight it and say, yeah, that's this. Mm-hmm. And we, do then, a, we do a lot of clever hacking to double blind it even. Uh, you can do a lot of double confirmation, quality assurance. Yeah. Uh, and we do a lot of clever stuff so that it's as legal as possible, even before you get to a human. Got it. I want to tell you right now about the importance of insurance for your business. It's never too soon. When you have a startup, you need to have insurance. And I know what you're saying. God, you got to deal with those brokers. God, they're a pain in the neck and they're annoying and the process takes forever. No longer. You can use Embroker, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R, Embroker. And they will do all of this quickly and easily for you. And the Embroker startup program is essentially free business insurance because it comes with $5,000 in AWS credits. That's right. They will give you $5,000 in AWS credits if you do the right thing and get your insurance all set up. You can get things like DNO, that's directors and officers. Directors, your board of directors, people on your board, officers, the top five or six people in the company who could go to jail or get sued if you do stupid things or if you make a mistake or if you do everything right and some litigious person decides to sue you anyway. You have that DNO, you're covered, and you need to get DNO, and you also need E and O. What's E and O? Errors and omissions. You make an error, you made an omission, and 
all of a sudden you get sued. And you know what? Sometimes you can't close a big deal or get a big time board member if you don't have these insurance policies in place. So you can instantly buy custom built insurance for your startup right now and get $5,000 in AWS credits for free, even if you're already an AWS client. And you can do that by going to imbroker.com slash twist, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist. And while you're there, get 10% off using the promo code twist10, T-W-I-S-T-1-0. This product is so elegant and so fast at getting you your insurance. I can't give it anything more than my five-star J-Cal review. Go to imbroker.com, embroker.com slash twist. Great product, great team. All right, let's get back to this great episode. Now, one of the things I like to do, you know, when I'm in a place is, uh, you know, I, I like to sample. So if I went into here and I opened this up, oh, sorry, I dropped my thing here. Uh, but if I, if I took the caramel macchiato, I open it, right. I take a quick slug. Get some caffeine. Not to my liking. I put it back there, mm-hmm. shift it back. What happens in the camera? Because you've got nobody here. What happens if somebody comes in and just takes a slug? So in addition to recognizing items, we're also training our system to recognize actions. Got it. So right now, the main actions are, are you taking something? Are you putting something? Are you handing something to somebody else? But we're going to be training for consuming, drinking, eating. Got it. Currently, if you put something back, we take it off your virtual cart. Okay, so I got a good sip of that. You got a good sip. I got like an eighth (laughs) of it, so I owe you like 20 cents. Yeah. No, but in all seriousness, people do this. This is why I don't eat salad bars. I will not go near that after seeing those tapes in New York. Wise. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty gnarly. Absolutely. No, so it's a a good point. And as we train the action model to recognize consuming, then we'll just charge you for it once you consume it. Got it. So now you've bought that can. Actually, what's great is a lot of convenience stores have places to eat inside of them. So you're not even necessarily leaving the store and transacting. You're grabbing a sandwich and then you sit down and then you just start eating. So you actually, you want that. You want that ability to start charging, not at the end of the shopping trip, but live as you start consuming. So you could actually deploy this in a fast serve cafe Mm -hmm. where, let's say it was a sushi bar. This is a product that never existed in the world, but you could have a sushi chef making, I guess it did with those sushi boat restaurants, the gimmicky one when the sushi boats go around. But you could have a sushi chef put out two pieces of toro, two pieces of salmon. We walk up, grab it, eat it, Mm -hmm. and it knows who we are and just charges us for that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be a convenience store. It doesn't have to be a regular store at all. Quick serve is a great great use case, absolutely. Yeah, or a bar or anything like that, barbecue situation. Barbecue, hors d'oeuvres, whatever it is. Hors d'oeuvres, wow. That's incredible. I'm just thinking of this crazy future where you go in to a bar and there's hors d'oeuvres set up and you take, it says, you know, this, um, two bucks, for, two bucks for yeah. whatever those eggs nice are, what are the deviled eggs. Yeah. You grab a deviled egg and it just charges you a dollar and yeah. you never even took out your wallet or thought about it. It also reduces contention at the bar because half the time you're at a yeah. bar, you're just sitting there waiting for your card, signing stuff, walk up, grab your beer, walk out. I'm just going to grab my pizza here because yeah. I'm starting to feel really guilty. <laughs> you may as well finish it. <laughs> I'm going to finish it. Um, so setting up a store, currently quarter million dollars. So a store this size, yeah, this one in particular, although we've already gotten that efficiency down by about a factor of two. Our goal got is it. another 5x. Oh, you started 500K, you got down to 250. No, this was probably 250. I'm thinking the compute in the back. Got it. We're working on a few stores with partners right now that are on the scale of 2,000 square feet. That would be about half the cost. Oh, down to 125. Yep. And the software will last and the hardware, all that, 10-year life cycle or something? Yeah. So Seven, I mean, five? Almost certainly we're going to get rid of all this hardware in the next two years. And it'll be in the years. cloud. Some will be in the cloud. A lot of it's going to end up on edge. 
So there's a lot of- Describe what that means for people who don't know when sure. you say edge. Yeah. So we have all these cameras up here on the ceiling. They're dumb cameras though. They're just, they're just pumping photons into pixels and yeah. then pushing it over into the compute. But what you really want to do is just put the compute by the pixels. So if you can uh, get a powerful enough ASIC that's low power just enough- de uh, Describe what an ASIC is. An ASIC is a, basically a custom chip that's designed for one specific task rather than general processing. So there's a lot of work. Google, for example, working on their TPUs, which are their... TPU. Those are their... TensorFlow. Tensor proce processing units. Yep. Instead of saying a CPU, which is a computer processing unit. Yep. Or GPU. GPU, graphical processing unit. TPU. Is a tensor processing unit. And tensor means... That's just the brand they came up with for their machine Ten learning. Uh, well, tensor is just a fancy way of saying bigger than a matrix, basically. Which okay. is... In the in deep learning world is everything's a tensor. Got it. Uh, people like fancy words because it sounds cool. Yeah. But a, a TPU is uh, one of many types of chips that different companies are working on to accelerate the deep learning workloads that we're, we're more and more investing in. So the camera has a processing unit in it. It watches all this behavior and it says, or it's been programmed to say, uh, instead of just sending every frame back and every pixel back, and then having the GPU in the back and the CPU in the back process that, mm -hmm. up there it says, we know a can was opened. We know a, a magazine was put in somebody's back pocket. Mm -hmm. Not that they're stealing it, it just could be that you have consumption, right? Right, and each camera is doing that independently, oh. but then you still merge it together mm. and do this global consensus building, uh -huh. which is, sure, this camera saw this person do this, but this camera was blocked and was a little bit confused, whereas this camera had a great perspective. So they then merge all of their perspectives together. They're sort of high-level understanding of what happened. You do one final piece of analysis, which says, okay, if we're all saying this, then camera seven's probably wrong, and this person did, ah, did take Coca-Cola. Got it. Because not that I was involved in any shoplifting as a ute, but there were different techniques you would use knowing even if there were cameras there. Yes. So let's talk about some edge cases. Sure. I'll give you my uh, greatest shoplifting technique ever created. We used to steal comic books in Brooklyn. I'm sorry. A friend I knew stole comic books in Brooklyn. Only twice because it was too scary. <laughs> but what they did was they would hold two comic books and pretend they were looking at the first one, like opening it up. Mm -hmm. And then they would put their bag on the floor. And then somebody else would stand or walk in between us. And right as they did, you'd open your hand up and let the second copy of the magazine, the, of the uh, comic book, fall into your grocery bag. Uh -huh. And you'd cough. <clears throat> You're still holding it. You sure. can see the drop. Sure. Would it pick it up? Would it pick that technique up asking for a friend? <laughs> so we do a lot of analysis from different perspectives, not just different camera perspectives, but different ways of trying to figure out what's happening. Mm. So one example is we try to figure out what you're taking by looking at your action. Okay. So we also, one or two comic books. Right. Um, but we also look at what's happening with the source, the shelf, for example. Oh, ground truth. Ground truth. So if we how, wait, how do you know? You, there's no cameras on the shelves. There's right? no cameras on the shelves, but the cameras can't see the shelves. Oh, they have different angles. Yeah. So for example, if you, you know, it doesn't matter how clever you are at coming up here and you know taking this, and no camera could see my hand right now, and I slip it under my. I'm a bad sleight of hand, but yes, you know, it doesn't matter what what but I do. But it knows do, one was removed. But it can see one was removed, God. and it knows I was the closest person to it. Before now, what happens. about you? Must have thought about all possible solutions. You came to computer vision as the best. But we were told 10 years ago, RFID would solve this, mm -hmm. uh, that there'd be little tags that cost 10 cents on everything, and you just take them off, and that's how you do it. Yep. Why did that not happen? So there's two major problems, maybe three major problems, maybe 10, with RFID. 
So I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you two of them. One major problem is actually the margin on something like this or the something on like a pizza can is not even 10 cents. It could be less than so, that. So RFID makes no is, financial sense. Absolutely. Another major blocker with RFID is that water blocks RFID. And the vast majority of these items are composed of water. Humans are also composed of water. And that blocks the RFID signal. But there are good use cases for RFID. Right now, we're focused on the convenience store sector. Yeah. But as we expand into, let's say, apparel in the next few years, apparel is great because they've already adopted RFID. It's a great signal. Clothing does not block RFID signal. Uh, so it's, I think that's, that's an industry where it could, could be a complementary signal. So somebody takes a sweater. We know that that sweater has moved mm-hmm. from the RFID. Mm-hmm. Do, what is RFID's resolution down to in terms of moving it around a space? You know it's moved. You know if it passed through the sensors at the door. Right. You know if it moved 10 feet. But right. what's the resolution on it? I'm not sure what the spatial resolution is, yeah. but our system is very good at spatial resolution. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you what I would use it for, yeah. which is... If you're trying to visually identify the difference between a small and a medium black t-shirt from 20 feet away, which is impossible, it's impossible, but you'll know that somebody took a black t-shirt, you'll know which person it was. Then as they're leaving and they pass through the gates, the RFID goes off and says it was a small black t-shirt. Got it. So now you know you're out of smalls, you need to replenish. Right. And I also know if those were priced differently, how to charge the person correctly. Although t-shirts tend to be priced. All right. I got a lot more questions for you. Let's sit down and talk about it. Sure. All right. Stick with us. Hey, everybody. I'm here with my friend Jason Maynard, who works at NetSuite. Tell everybody, what do you do, Jason? You know, I do I do many things here at NetSuite, but I run the field operations for the business unit. Fundamentals matter. They right? do. I mean, I think it's part of the promise of what you're doing at NetSuite is to make sure people have strong fundamentals. So the business itself, which is going to be complex, which is going to have ups and downs, which you're going to face competition, you're going to face losing employees to other companies, you're going to face accounting or cash flow issues at some point. You want to have all that stuff tight. Everybody says this is like the most chaotic time in business, and I can't remember any period in business that wasn't chaotic. It's always chaotic. It's always change. Yeah. So the the key is, how do you become resilient as an organization that you can withstand change? And, and that, I think that's one of those lessons you learn. If you've been around for a little while, 20 plus years, we've been through nothing but change. Part of it is you got to be a grinder. You got to embrace the mundane. You know, whether you're a basketball team or a football team or a software company, you got to embrace that everyday practice grind. And it's not always super sexy. All right. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, the seven key strategies to grow your profits. So go to NetSuite.com slash twist, NetSuite.com slash twist, and get that free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. We appreciate the work you're doing in the startup community. It's great Thanks, stuff. Thanks, pal. Thanks. All right. We'll be back with more. All right. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. Really impressive uh, to see the work you've done here, Jordan. Uh, Jordan is, of course, the CEO and co-founder of Standard Cognition, uh, which has been around since 2017, I believe. Yeah. This is year two or three for you, third two, year. Two and a half. Got it. Um, and you've opened this uh, test store, I guess, in order to show other, uh, I guess, investors... And retailers. And retailers, what this is about. How long have you had the store open? What's the reaction been? So we've had the store open for about a, a year. And, and the goal was really, let's, let's make a store that's as vanilla as possible and then throw the system on top of that to show Got that it. we can make this work in your store if you're mm. a retailer coming in. And what's, what's been great about having the store just open, uh, you know, we open in the afternoons. We just open it. There's no, there's no schedule for the demos, which yeah. has been the best thing because we have retailers reach out all the time and they say, hey, can we come over and get a demo of the technology? You know, like anytime after three. Yeah, we say like, 
no, you're not going to get a demo. <laughs> just show up. Just <laughs> like, show up and use it. Yeah, and what's what's great is it's it brings like a it brings a clarity to to the offering because it's not it's not a demo anymore. It's just whenever you want to come, and and I think they appreciate it because then they'll just come without telling us. Yeah, and you know they'll mess around, they'll try to fool the system. That's uh, great. And maybe they'll email us the next week and be like, hey, we stopped by the store. I'm like, oh. Yeah, that's like bold. You're just like, yeah, go ahead and try it and let me know what you think. Well, bold was <laughs> when we opened the store a year ago uh, to the general public, we hadn't beta tested yet. Oh. Uh, Ooh. Which was intentional. Uh, but that, that's, that's kind of my, my what, style. What of- happened? <laughs> what happened when you just put it out in the wild? There must have been some great, because just to give people reference, you are in the delightful tenderloin area mm-hmm. of uh, San Francisco, which is literally the scariest place I've ever visited in my life. And I grew up in Brooklyn in the nice. 70s and I, 80s. Yeah, yeah. I spent the last six years in New York, so I, I appreciate your... Yeah. <laughs> Te- basically, all of New York looked like the Tenderloin, mm-hmm. or most of it was Tenderloin-esque at that time. But there's a lot of crime here. There's a lot of uh, vagrants, homeless people, drug use, craziness, um, just random mayhem here. Yeah. Um, you must have people walking in off the street. Uh, we do, yeah. Yeah. Actually, part of our part of our tenant was, you know, we we want to help communities as much as possible. Uh, running a convenience store is one of the top ten most dangerous jobs in the U.S. Really? Mm-hmm. So after deep water uh, scuba diving, and <laughs> drilling, yeah, taxi driver, mm-hmm. convenience store worker, it's one of the top ten. And there's actually liquor store, yeah, yeah. There's actually communities that don't have any access. Because it's too dangerous. These places are known as food deserts where you just you can't serve. You can't serve those wow. communities. So if we can figure out how to make this technology work here, then we want to put it everywhere. All right. Let me ask you a question. I, uh, in the area where I live, in Burlingame, there's, uh, here in the peninsula, there's an Apple store. It's been knocked off three times in the last six months. This is a place that has a million cameras, is brightly lit, is on a main thoroughfare, and people are smashing and grabbing to take phones and iPads, which obviously are high ticket items in a store with no security and self checkout or no, I'm sorry, self checkout's the wrong word. No checkout. What do you call it? Is there an industry term yet? We call it autonomous checkout, autonomous checkout, self-serve. You don't have to like run it through a scanner yourself. You just grab and go. What's to stop like 10 people from coming in, clearing off the shelves and leaving. Yeah. Well, I think you bring up a good point, which is even at a store like Apple where it's not autonomous checkout yet. Yeah. Uh, there's still a lot of theft. You know, yeah. th- theft exists just because theft exists. That's, yeah, that's you're human not nature. changing human nature. Not changing human nature. There's nothing stopping you from walking into a regular store today, grabbing something and walking out. Got it. Our goal is just to improve the situation. Hmm. So you still need to have some human present if you want to do additional loss prevention. Hmm. But what's great about our system is that we can actually be loss preventative rather than reactionary. Yeah. So because we're tracking in real time, we know where everyone's standing in real time. We know that someone's taking something. If you haven't paid or if you haven't checked into our app, for example, and we see that you're walking towards the door, we can ah. actually proactively notify a clerk and say, hey, here's a map of the store. Here's the person where they're walking. This person hasn't Got checked it. in yet. What's even better from a consumer experience, because not everyone's trying to steal. Sometimes you just yeah, made a mistake. Yeah, they don't know how it works. Now you've got somebody engaging a person who didn't check in. How brilliant. That's exactly. another reason to have the check-in. Exactly. Yeah. Because you can go intervene. Maybe somebody doesn't know they have to download the app first. It's a way softer touch. Way better than alarm bells going off because you passed through the RFID yeah. gate. I wonder if you, I was just thinking you could also lock the door. But in the case of somebody who's shoplifting and robbing, if they're in that situation in life and mm-hmm. they're that desperate to steal 
body wash or food or whatever it happens to be, you probably don't want to confront them. You probably just want to let them take $9 in soap. Yes. Yeah, exactly. There's also regulatory issues with locking doors because of fire codes. Right. Actually, so there's been oh, earlier. Yeah. So early, that must yeah. have been suggested at some point. Somebody's like, we can lock the doors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the place where this technology or this type of technology, not exactly the way we do, we do it, has been most adopted is China, actually. Yeah. Uh, so there's been a lot of these sort of smaller, basically in, inverted vending machine stores where you walk in, it uses facial recognition or some, some form of biometric, figures out what you take. Then you're in this sort of gated period where the doors are locked. It confirms, and then the door, doors open. You ah, can leave. Like a double door system. Like when you're, I've seen them at some airports now where they have double door systems on the way out instead of putting a TSA agent there to sit for 24 hours and yep. watch people leave. Exactly. And that, that works in China, but the regulatory nature here in the U.S. says, please don't lock people in while you're please waiting Please don't for lock, them to- them in a, lock them in a box <laughs> exactly. and treat them like criminals exactly. if they haven't actually done criminal things. Exactly, exactly. So we're, we're trying to make the best shopping experience mm. possible, uh, which is actually why you know, when you walk in, there's no gates. You, know, you, don't, right. you don't badge in. You don't feel like you're yeah. walking into this machine. It's just a regular store. Walk in. Right now, you check in as you, as you will, but you could do it anywhere in the store. Is the plan to have these open 24 hours a day? For some stores, absolutely. And again, we're not, we're not the retailer. Right. We're the retailer here, but that's that's it, As a demo. But I mean, if you've already made the decision that you're going to deal with a certain amount of crime, like credit companies credit card companies deal with or hotels deal with with people stealing pool towels or whatever you're you're going to factor that into the price that seems to be a huge unlock as well i mean if your store yeah. is only open for 12 hours a day and you could open it for another 12 even if those 12 hours only incrementally add 10 or 20 yeah. percent to the revenue that could be the difference between profitable profitability and not yeah it also allows you to open more stores because there's places where you'd like to reach but you can't uh, economically justify it got it yeah are, is the idea here that you'll be able to have smaller stores as well mm-hmm. uh, and maybe put these in locations that aren't stores? Yeah, absolutely. So I think as this technology matures, we're going to see a, a pretty big cornucopia of, of differentiation inside of retail for mm. how we want to really deploy this and how do we want to give the best experience and the best access to mm. variety. So it's going to be an exciting five years. How does the uh, supermarket industrial complex look at you <laughs> Uh, and what you're bringing to them. Are they confused? Are they inspired? Uh, and, and how do they look at it? I'm, I'm curious. I'm not bodegas and small mom and pop shops. I'm talking about like yeah. somebody who owns 50 or 100 of these. Yeah. Are or they thousands. appalled by or- the concept or they love it? No. So, I mean, what I've been most surprised by, and you know, I, I'm not a retail guy. I didn't come from retail. Right. Um, so I, this been, idea would not come from a retail person, to be clear. Like a, a retail person is not coming up with the idea for this. It's just sure. too hard. Sure. To, you but need what, fresh eyes, right? Yeah. But what's, what's been amazing is, is the desire. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really been phenomenal to see. And we actually, we don't do any like outbound. We don't reach out to retailers. We just kind of sit here and wait for people to reach out mm-hmm. to us because there's a huge, insane desire to adopt this technology. And it's, it's for a lot of reasons. It's not just about cost savings. It's also about the, the shopper experience and staying relevant. There's been a lot of, you know, I don't want to say thrash, but, you know, this notion of the retail apocalypse, which is... It's real. It's real, right? Yeah. Um, but actually, more stores are opening every day than closing. So it's not that retail is having an apocalypse moment. It's just that there's been a lot of tumult. And there's been a lot of ups and downs and some retailers are succeeding and others aren't. And I think what we've seen over the last few years is this 
this realization in retail that you really have to keep upping your game. You have to keep right. giving the best and best experience to consumers. And I think retailers see that this is that next step. And especially with this forcing function that's happened with Amazon, where Amazon basically showed up and said, hey, you know what? We've been dominating e-commerce for yeah. the last decade. Now we're ready to come to the physical world. Physical retailers, 10 times the size of e-commerce. It's right. $25 trillion. And they're ready to come tackle that. And I think that, that really... Lit a fire. Absolutely. Yeah, they were probably on a decade-by-decade decade innovation cycle and Amazon's on a week-by-week, day-by-day innovation cycle. Yeah. You know. But I think we're seeing a, almost like a leapfrog moment where retail has been slowly adopting things like apps and better in-store experiences. And that's taken years to kind of gain momentum. The pickup stuff is pretty impressive too, yeah. But as they've, as they've been revolutionizing themselves with that mentality, suddenly a Thomas Checkout comes and they're like, oh, well, that's just... That's just this better experience stuff that we're trying to work on. And it's not this like 10-year grand vision, computer vision, gee whiz stuff. It's yeah. like, no, this is just what we want for our consumers. Oh my God, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. I love this product. We use it. We got so many great team members using LinkedIn Talent Solutions. There's over 600 million members at LinkedIn. And why do they go there? Well, why do you go there? Why do I go there? The great feed news to make connections, to meet people, to uh, share information, maybe to update your resume, huh? your profile page. Well, hiring is so easy that a new hire is made every eight seconds on LinkedIn. Think about that. And they will get your job in front of the right people at the right time, whether you need hard or soft skills. Maybe you need somebody who's a great negotiator. Maybe you need somebody who's a great coder. You're going to find all those people. And here is my CMO, Presh, creating a job posting for our new client success manager. And that's a position in our Toronto office. And he sets a daily budget and he sends the ad to find the right candidate. He also puts in some skills needed, writes a description, adds additional screening questions. And those screening questions are so important. When you write an open-ended question like that, you can really tell who's really a great hire and who is indifferent. You want the person who's going to write two paragraphs in one of those open-ended questions. And you can do this all within minutes by going to linkedin.com slash unicorn and you will get $50 off your first job post because you're building a unicorn. And to build a unicorn, you're going to need great team members. You're only as good as your weakest team member. And you need to have great team members. And the way you're going to do that is linkedin.com slash unicorn. linkedin.com slash unicorn. Get that $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply because it's such a generous offer. Thanks again to LinkedIn for making a great service that just helps the entire community and for these generous offers from my community here at The Sweet Stripes. I really appreciate it. Okay, back to the episode. Let's talk about jobs. Obviously, cashiers are going away. That is a horrible job for people to have. McDonald's, Panera, they're all getting rid of cashiers. So you must get, I guess, the you know, whole, oh my God, you're eliminating jobs. So I'm interested in your perspective on that. But I'm also interested in your perspective on the savings and what that'll do for society. Because it would seem to me that stores are going to be able to be cheaper, which means overall society will get, if society gets goods at a cheaper rate, they don't need to make as much income, right? So it's efficiency on either side. Yeah. So tell me about the efficiency this will create and then tell me how you deal with any, you know, blowback on social media or the press about jobs. How do you answer that question? I'm yeah, curious. sure, sure. So one of the best things that people do, one of our best skills that robots and machines still suck at is, is relationships and people-to-people yeah. interactions. That's about half of the work that happens inside of a store. 
So cashiering is, is pretty important. It's about half the other half of the labor. Um, but a huge part, part of running a store is the customer experience and how we engage with people. Yeah. Our hope is that we can emphasize that and actually even use our technology to help that as well, not just by freeing up time and resources, but by really helping pinpoint when somebody needs help. Got it. So, so you see those people being greeters and helping people along their journey. So maybe half the number of cashiers goes away. Is that what the supermarkets believe? So what do they believe will happen? They won't tell us exactly what they Got think, it. Yeah. but they, they do firmly believe in improving their, their experience. And, you know, not just the supermarkets, but you know, we've, we've talked to basically every vertical of, of retail and, you know, home goods, for example, we've had a lot of conversations. And if you go back to, what does it mean? Home goods, like you know, buying lumber and, oh, uh, got it. you know, like a hardware store, hardware store. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So you go back 10, 20, 30 years and you might've had a real carpenter inside of that store and you're going in and talking about your, your yeah. home project and they're really going to bring an incredible amount of expertise to help you pick out and plan the project. Um, but as retail has gotten squeezed, as margins have gotten squeezed, they can't necessarily afford to have that same level of expertise in their store. Right. But if we can unlock a big bucket of uh, margins. That's super interesting. So you get rid of two cashiers who are not differentiated, just smacking keys. And then all of a sudden, now you've got somebody there who does cooking classes or decor or whatever. I, I mean, I get these questions a lot because of Cafe X, obviously, which is adding robots to the coffee experience. It's going to eliminate some number of barista jobs, obviously. Yep. Uh, but if you lower the cost of and people don't have to spend as much money they're making it and then just the time saving you see one of the problems i think right now with the socialist movement in america um is people don't understand the concept of efficiency people waiting in line could be doing other things with that time people driving cars could redeploy that time for other things like work play family whatever just the i mean i, I wonder if there is a way to know the statistic of how much time consumers spend in line at grocery stores billions of hours it's got to be billions billions of hours a year yeah. across humanity it's billions of hours yeah i mean and it should go to zero it should absolutely go to zero and it's not i mean it's both sides yeah it's somebody who's sitting on the other side of this you know going yep. through the scanning process and the cashiers and machine. the cashiers like and then every pos is going to go away i just realized that not only you're saving the cashier but that machine and that whole conveyor belt that costs money too to yeah. run it's also the best real estate of the store. Oh my God, I just thought of that as well. Right, you remove 20 aisles in the front of the store, now those become, get redeployed. So in your first deployments, they're going to remove two or three? So we'll probably remove it a little bit after we prove Got out it. their full technology. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the goal. And it, it is prime real estate, especially if you start thinking about impulse buying. What do you want yep. to really do in order to make, make that extra candy bar sale? You want to put it in the front of the store. Sure. But currently you can't because you have to come all the way in. The registers are through. what? 10% of the store footprint? Yeah. 20? High. 10 to 20. Yeah. Is it 10 to 20? I just guessed it. Wow. I mean, it, it depends on the, for a convenience store, it can be much higher, obviously. Right. Because it's, it's a much bigger percentage. Front, right. Which is why they shove so much stuff on it because they mm -hmm. have to reclaim it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So the savings is you're going to get rid of people smacking keys for a living, get rid of the giant real estate, get rid of the POS and the conveyor belt, mm -hmm. and you get to be open twice as many hours. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you, you increase volume even when you are open. Because right. suddenly you're walking down the street and you see a store and you're like, I don't really want to wait five minutes just yeah. to get a bottle of water. But if it takes me 20 seconds to pop yes. in and grab something and walk out, it's even easier than a vending machine because I don't need to fiddle around. Yeah, they call that monetary velocity. Yes. The more the money moves around, the better it is for society. Yeah, absolutely. You want people spending money. You want money to travel. 
I've lived on top of a grocery store in my last three apartments. So for like the last six years of my life, I've lived on top of a grocery store. You really store. have a fetish for this, don't you? Really? <laughs> that That's was totally, totally happenstance. You're actually. like talking to your broker, like, I need to be above a grocery store. That's open 24 hours yeah. a day. Yeah. I need to just get my juice. <laughs> I always, always need something. But yeah. actually, I never shop there. I uh, never go down because it takes me 30 seconds to get downstairs and into the store. Yeah. And then I spend five minutes waiting in line. And it's just the calculus doesn't make sense for me. But if it was 30 seconds in and I'm out, suddenly that store becomes my pantry. I don't even think about it as a store anymore. Yeah. It's like a shared pantry. What, how do you, when will this be in stores? When will we see standard cognitions deployed, you know, uh, across the country? Yeah. So the hardware installation, we've already done with the first few of our retail clients. Really? We're running in the background right now in a few stores. Excellent. We Collect call data. Collecting data, but also proving out the system. So we call it shadow mode, where our system's running. End of day, we compare books. So our system uh-huh. versus the POS. Oh, that's so brilliant. What's lurker mode. What lurker did the POS mode. say? What did yours say? And then the delta is either your mistake or, or stealing. Theirs. Exactly. <gasps> so in a, in a weird way, we can be more than 100% accurate because we can actually reclaim <gasps> some lost goods. Just for that reason, installing this for uh, $100,000 or $200,000 in a store, you could even make the claim that just as an inventory and a backstop, this is better than a security system, yes. obviously. Yeah. Actually, when we originally were an earlier company thinking about our go-to-market, we thought, well, why don't we do go-to-market with loss prevention, you know, preventing right. theft, and then we'll sort of roll into the checkout experience. Why didn't you do that? When we were talking to retailers about this, they're like, yeah, we'd, we'd love the loss prevention. That sounds great, but give us the checkout. <laughs> we want oh, it right now. So the c- customer demand was like, hey, let's go. We're ready. We, we, they um, wanted it, absolutely. So let's talk about your competition with Amazon. And let's talk about, as a startup founder, how you deal with that. It, it, you, you raised this huge round, $86 million or something, in the last round? Uh, over the last two rounds. Over yeah. the last two rounds. Yeah. Now, when you raised that money, you started the company before they launched a Go store, correct? Uh, so we started, or we were sort of ideating this, uh, yeah, before Go was launched. Got it. But then you raised money after? Uh, before and after. Before and after. Yeah. Was there a difference between how VCs looked at it? Because people would say that is going to have a chilling effect. But I might also think that it, the introduction of Amazon in there might have a catalytic effect. Absolutely. So absolutely. which was it no, for fundraising? Absolutely catalytic. And you know, if, I, if I had been Amazon, if I'm being a, a Monday, Monday morning quarterback yeah. or <laughs> coach, I guess, yeah. uh, what I would have done is I wouldn't have announced Go a year before they launched it, which is what they did. In fact, dumb. I, yeah, I would have had 10 or 20 or 100 of these stores ready, open them all at the same time. Yeah. Because you'd really suck out the oxygen in the room at that point. But what happened was they announced Go. That's exactly when we were just starting to really start moving. Got it. And it opened up the doors for us, not just with investors, but retailers too. Because it was really that fire that said, hey, yeah. this is coming. This is real. It's a credible technology. We haven't proven it out yet. This is years ago. We haven't proven it out yet, but it is coming. So like, we should be chatting. Yeah. It makes total sense to me that that was the cannon, like right above the, you know, the bow, as they say, of the battleship. Like everybody, if I'm an investor, I'm thinking, okay, this is like the iPhone comes out, like Android. Okay, every other phone maker is going to need an operating system because that app store is going to succeed. And there needs to be another operating system or app store out there to compete against this. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for us, I think it's a little bit easier, too, because it's not a direct, direct competition. Amazon Mm -hmm. is a retailer, too. Yeah. So they're a technology provider. 
but they're a retailer. So there's a really uneasy relationship between the mega retailers and the non-mega retailers of the world and Amazon. It's not a it's not a friendly relationship. How, how big is the company? You got 100 people, 200 people ballpark? Uh, we just hit 100. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh wow, that's intense. I was about to say, like you have raised a lot of money. Do you need all that money to do what you're doing? It seems like this doesn't isn't the kind of startup that needs hundreds of people, maybe a hundred, right? So if there's ever a <laughs> big company problem, yeah. I would say this is sort of it. It's, you know, it's kind of like autonomous vehicles light is how I like to describe it. So basically every, everything that you see going on in an AV hmm. uh, system is, is basically what's happening here. This is like an inverted autonomous vehicle. So oh, that's a great way to look at it. They're looking at the entire world. You're looking at a room. In yeah. the inside of the room, the yeah. Of the room. And in some ways it's easier because, for example, we have lower, we have higher tolerances rather. So we make a mistake, somebody gets catch up for free. And it's like, not a big deal. Not a big deal. As far as not flipping. We can have higher latencies, et cetera. So in some ways, easier. In some ways, a lot harder. Because actually, we care about these really granular details. You know, the difference between, you know, a 12-ounce and a 16-ounce Heinz ketchup. What is that? It's not much. Uh, and you have to really be super precise. So some things are harder. Some things are easier. But end-to-end, it's actually a very similar system. So the degree of complexity with the hardware and the sensors up through all the machine vision systems and cascading into each other, it's, it's, it's quite complicated. So having, having more people would be great. I would love to have a yeah. thousand people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, we're I we're see scrappy. you have the bags here, the standard cognition, like grocery bags, those canvas ones that everybody uses now uh, to save the environment. Do they play a role in this? Like if you use, I would think if you standardize that bag and you said, hey, when you're shopping here, please use this bag and you can have it. Um, that would give you the ability to say it's being dropped into the bag and you know the bag and you can make the bag's design in somehow, some way really easy and standardized for the cameras. Did, yeah. did you do that or did you consider that? No, no, actually. So we want to encourage people to shop as easily as possible. So you walk in without a bag because you're just, ba- just going to grab a bottle of water. You're going to grab yeah. a, a sandwich. You walk in without a bag, put it into your jacket. That's it. No walk problem. Out. Yeah. You don't need to have a bag. Just put it in your pocket. Yeah. It's going to be a great feeling for a kid from Brooklyn to come here and put eight things in their pocket and not risk getting arrested. It's actually <laughs> going to work. And does the app tell you your running total as you take things off the shelf? So right now, you don't get your receipt till after you leave the store. Got it. But over time, we want to push down that so that as you're live shopping, you can start seeing your receipt in real time. That would be nice, too, because as you're putting stuff in your bag, you would see the running total, mm-hmm. which... You know, like when I was on a budget, I'd be sitting there trying to calculate my bill because I had a certain amount of cash on me. And, yep. I, you know, it's really embarrassing when you get to the thing and you're like, oh, you know what? I've only got 80 bucks on me. It's 87. Do Take these three things here? back. And I'm like playing prices right, handing stuff yeah. back to the person. You can deliver a ton of more value, too, if you're at that level of real time where you can say, I know what you're holding. I know that it's got, you know, let's say lactose in it. And you told yeah. me that you're lactose intolerant. You probably don't want to buy what you're holding. right Oh, now. wow. That's interesting, too. Yeah. Uh, and then delivery playing any role in this? Yeah, I think there's a really interesting overlap with with delivery. So there, this is kind of that that direction of having lots of smaller stores. Kind of can we really like push into the last mile, last half mile of not just delivery, but just having a distribution center where people can come shop. And what we're seeing right now with delivery is we need to start creating all these depots, and they're calling them dark. They're dark warehouses, yeah. basically, or dark stores. Um, but if you have autonomous checkout, why even make a dark store? Just have a lit store. And yeah. it serves as a delivery depot for your last mile zip, zip, Instacart. Zip. But you can also have people just walk in and keep shopping. I'm curious what Walmart thinks of all this. Because Walmart seems to be, you know, the, uh, the one who loses most as Amazon succeeds. They're the most paranoid. Do you have a relationship with them yet? And how do they look at this concept? 
So we can't tell you specifically who, okay. we're, who we're chatting with, um, but they've made some announcements in this in this direction. Oh, okay. Uh, so they're certainly aware. Uh, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like they're they're going to make motions here. They're yeah. going to keep pushing. And actually, honestly, what would be best for for me and our company yeah. and uh, would and the industry would it be to have Amazon and Walmart pushing this because if they're adopting it and if they're making waves and they're pushing it out really quickly, yeah. then the rest of the world has to it have it. It seemed to me that Walmart would. Do would be really smart for Walmart to invest in your company and use it and then have the upside of all the other stores using it to create a block against the Amazon, you know, Whole Foods. The Whole Foods acquisition must have been... It's a good day for us. Good day for you, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. now you're like, okay, Walmart, if Whole Foods has this technology... Mm-hmm. They, haven't, they have Amazon Go stores, but they haven't put it into Whole Foods yet. Yeah, so the way that Amazon works, uh, it's a much more, and actually a lot of our competitors too in the startup space, because there's been a few that have, have popped up over the last few years, it's a very sensor-heavy system. So it's not just cameras, it's, it's sensors all throughout all the shelves. Oh, right, so, so they have the weight where they knew something got moved. Exactly. So you have to have these custom shelving units. It's much more expensive and laborious and a lot more operationally intense to retrofit. Let's say you have 10,000 stores. You have to go in and rip out all those shelves and redeploy. So it's a lot more intensive, which is why you've seen that Amazon hasn't actually deployed the Go technology to Whole Foods. Not yet. Got it. So we're we're a little bit ahead in terms of our technology being more flexible than Amazon. Uh, Of course, they're more ahead in terms of deploying this to their Go locations. But I assume they're going to catch up. They're going to figure out how to deploy this to Whole Foods. Yeah, I, I'm curious why they even called it Amazon Go when they could have called it Whole Foods Go. Like they should just be doing micro Whole Foods. Yeah. That would have been a better move. Um, what about doing fresh food and that kind of stuff? People are going to be taking olives or things you have to weigh. Mm-hmm. How do you think about that? Because that seems to be a big part of the puzzle too. I buy 10 bananas, I have to weigh them. How yeah. does that work? Yeah. That edge case. So in terms of fresh foods just by themselves, we can visually identify it just as well as any other CPG Got consumer it. packaged So if you're goods. charging a dollar for a cantaloupe, no problem. No problem. Exactly. If there's a weighted component, then we have to start adding an additional sensor. Got it. Or the shopper weighs the item. We tie into the scale and we say, okay, ah. we know it's a cantaloupe. We know it's one pound. Here's how much it's going to cost. Right. Um, but we'll definitely need to have some additional integration with, with scales. Yeah. They should just It'd be simpler to just change it and pre-wrap them and just be like, here's like, yes, everything's pre-wrapped. That's, that's our, pro- well, I mean, we're definitely targeting particular verticals of retail that are a little bit easier. They don't have all those yes. difficulties. CPG, yeah. Yeah. But there are groceries, uh, grocery stores that are by unit, even for yeah. the fresh food. So, so we'll, we'll probably be deploying there first. Uh, and you, how did your uh, time at the SEC <laughs> influence all this? I'm, I'm obsessed yeah. with the SEC because I always, always tell my founders like, Please don't make any uh, claims when you're raising money that are bending the truth, let alone massaging the truth, let alone lying. Yeah. Because they know that lying's wrong, but boy, do people sometimes massage. And I'm like, you know, the SEC has a term for that. It's called securities fraud. Yeah. You're selling a security and you're bending the truth. And yeah. part of startups is to be hopeful and present the biggest picture. I'm curious how the when your time in the SEC is sort of impacts how you think about private company funding and, and how you think about that issue of the optimism of uh, founders and their spinning stories to kind of tell themselves in the world versus the reality of the SEC's job every day. Yeah. Uh, one, the SEC is a fascinating place. Incredibly smart people. So I wouldn't... Principle too, right? Like if you go work there, you have to be a principled person because you could make more money in oh. the private sector. Oh, absolutely. So what, what you see a lot of, which is fascinating for me, is, is the good side of the revolving door which is a lot of people come off of Wall Street. 
and they go to the ah. SEC. Maybe they've, you know, had their fill. They've made their enough money to retire. Now they want to spend 10 years just doing good civic duty. Wow. Fascinating to see. That's wild. People. I could see the other way, but the other way also in. can be super positive too, which is you have a lawyer coming in and, you know, eventually they want to go end up being general counsel for such and such. Right. Yeah. And one of the best things they can put on their resume is that they had a great litigation case against some financial firm. So you're, you're actually, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of bad things about the revolving door, but there's, yeah. there's good upsides too, but fascinating place. Yeah. Uh, what did you do there? So they were, they were just starting out their quantitative group, huh. uh, which is really like the, the flip side of the this quantitative revolution that happened in Wall Street itself over the yeah. last many decades. Uh, and they kind of recognized they needed to fight fire with fire. How do you regulate a quantitative market? You better have quantitative regulators. Yeah. Uh, so we were, we were building out the machine learning infrastructure and the quantitative infrastructure for building all the models to detect fraud in these high velocity sectors of flash boys, all that, like just front running the market and getting those micro trades in. Exactly. I'm so, curious what you'd think after your time there of, um, non-accredited investors and the accreditation rules. It's something I've talked a lot about and it seems like only rich people could invest in a private company like yours. Mm-hmm. If you worked at a supermarket and you saw this technology early, you'd be like, wow, I'd love to put a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars into standard cognition. Yeah. Why, why can't civilians do that? Yeah, it's a, you know, there's no easy answers. I think yeah. about this a lot, actually. And actually, you know, in a, in a similar vein, I was on the digital currency task force when I was right. at the SEC. So I, I saw some interesting things. <laughs> um, yeah, was, well, that was just crazy amounts of fraud going on. Right. And, you know, earlier on in the, the stock market, too, before there was a lot of regulations go back 100 years, there was a lot of interesting ways that people were getting fleeced. Yeah. Um, but at the flip side, the whole point of the stock market is to let an entire nation rise up together. Everyone yeah. should be able to, to invest in the major tech giants of the world. So it's 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 hard to find the right balance. I, I certainly don't understand why they don't have a license. Like I, I teach a course on angel investing to accredited investors. I was like, well, if somebody took that course for four hours mm-hmm. and passed a 20-question test, that would be more than a driver's license. Yeah. So we let people drive cars, but they, you know, which can kill their people own lives, and, right? yeah, and kill themselves and others yeah. and arguably cost tens of thousands of years to do. And yeah. like, they can't spend the similar amount of money on stocks and mm-hmm. private companies. It makes no sense. Yeah, I think finding that right balance is, and maybe that's a component of it. I um, think they got to do that. Accreditation. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, continued success. We'll look forward to seeing the product in the market. You've got it in beta. In beta. In right shadow now. mode. In shadow mode. Lurker yeah. mode. <laughs> Did you find people shoplifting in lurker we, mode? We have, yes. How, how big is shoplifting? Is it actually like, are you shocked by how many people you catch shoplifting and who? Or are you, um, is it just what you thought? 5% of people, 3% of people steal shit? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's what you'd expect. Is it 1%, 3%? What do you think it is? It really depends on the retailer and the vertical, yeah. but it could be anywhere from a few percent to 7 or 8%. Depends on the vertical. What? Yeah. <laughs> 7 or 8%? And that's all in loss. One so it's in not necessarily just theft. Oh, but So when we detect errors in the existing store, it's not just employees. Theft. It can be employees. It can be the POS. Ah, um, the POS makes And you mistake. go back and you do an investigation and you see this, this scan but the POS didn't register the scan. Or people change the labels. That's the other move. You take sure. the 20 ounce, you put it on the six ounce, boom, you get the difference. Yeah. So it's not all nefarious. There are nefarious yeah. pieces of loss, but there's also just, just user error. Yeah. Um, but they all add up to a pretty substantial piece. And when will it be launched? You, you, 2020, we'll definitely be able to choose this in the, in the wild or is it still be in lurker mode? So hopefully we'll have our first launch launch over the next few months. Great. We're still shooting for 2019. 
Um, but definitely 2020, you should see multiple public demonstrations of this from different retailers. All right, man. Continued success. I know it's hard work and uh, we appreciate you doing it. Uh, if you're a developer, designer, uh, machine learning, yeah, hardcore, hard, yeah. we you're like, hardcore. We like normal people too, but hardcore people are great. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you need hardcore computer scientists, right? Absolutely. And there just aren't enough out there. Absolutely. What do you do? You make them? We've trained a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for me, I just love smart people. And if you're, if you're super passionate, you're super motivated, yeah. then you can get the job done. All right. It's usually first name at company name. You guys are standardcognition.com? Jordan at standard.ai. Standard.ai. There it yeah. is. Jordan at standard.ai. Email him what your qualifications are and why you love this idea and maybe you get a job. All right. We'll see you all next time on this week's service. Bye-bye. <laughs>